until you're uncomfortable with your body sitting in the line at McDonald's waiting for your, you know, your Big Mac or whatever it is, until you're uncomfortable with yourself, then when no one sees you, you're just uncomfortable being with yourself and the way your body feels, you'll never be motivated on a substantial level consistently to make permanent changes. As long as you're making changes because you want other people to see you in a different way, that's intrinsic. So 80% of a normal person's day, no one's looking at them. Mm. 99% of a person's day, no one's looking at them with their clothes off. Mm -hmm. So that's, if your only motivation is how people see you, 80 to 99% of your day, you're unmotivated, mm -hmm. you know? It's when I'm sitting here in a room by myself and I'm like, I hate the way I feel. What is happening? Welcome back to your favorite podcast, The Gordai Podcast. I'm Michelle Simhaley and I am joined today by Judd Leinhard, the probably most athletic bodybuilder, powerlifter looking person that you've ever seen. And we talk about some topics that have never before been discussed in Grow or Die, including my current favorite topic, masculine vulnerability. We talk about Judd's experience in Iraq and Afghanistan and how some moments from there cultivated him into who he is right now as a father to his incredible son. But Judd is blowing up in the fitness scene. So... After you listen to his podcast, make sure to follow and watch his stuff on Instagram because what he's doing, truly nobody else is doing in this space. You guys are going to love this show. Get ready. I'll see you inside. Judd Leinhardt, welcome to the Grower Eye podcast. Now, my understanding is only the second podcast you've done that's been actually like video recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Live that's shocking. Yeah. You started blowing up in September Think this so. past year. And I was showing my friends, I was just working with some um, uh, of my staff at Lazarus Brewing right before this. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I pull up your Instagram, give it to them. You're at 406 right now. Like, yeah. I think when I looked at your page about a month ago, a longtime podcast fan sent me your stuff. Like, dude, get this guy on the show. I've got to chat with him. Do I think you're at like 280 something? Like, yeah, it grew really fast. Yeah. You had a reel that went viral. Yeah, and just kind of spawned from there. I mean, it, it, you cuss on here at all? Or, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's such a shit show, bro. Like, yeah. you saw, like, the day-to-day. -day. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're so unprofessional still yeah. as far as, like, the back-end stuff. Yeah. Like, we're trying to catch up yeah. with the followers. You know what yeah. I mean? So. That's a good position to be in. Yeah. It's a good position to have to, like, oh, all of the systems broke because there were no systems. There was no, sy there's no system. <laughs> yeah, and now we've got to figure out. And everybody's out like, oh, you know, I want a program. And I'm like, I, I got a program. I, I, I don't have the logistics to release it and the quality that it deserves. And it, and we're in we're in the process of doing that. It just takes time, you know? Of course. And I feel so bad for people. It's like, I want to help you out, bro. It's just, yeah. I got to wait, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I saw, you know, on your website, you have a wait list. Like, you're doing things the right way. Now, if there's any way I can be of help, I obviously have been through the growing pains quite a few times. The systems have broken and been rebuilt many times. But um, how would you describe your training style, Judd? So I would say it's, it's a hybrid um, where I just pull um, the best of every world I've been exposed to. Um, without excluding any one world, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, well, talk about the worlds you've been exposed to because you were a linebacker in college, you served in the army, you went over to Iraq, you come back here, you're a speed coach, you're obviously jacked up, like those of you watching on YouTube, like you look like a bodybuilder. 
What, what's your entire background here? Um, so, you know, chronologically, I would say, you know, obviously loved superheroes when I was a kid. So okay. early on bodybuilding. Yeah. You know, me and my brother got like the, you know, like the solo flex, like the really yeah, cheap bow flex. Yeah. So we got one of those. And I remember getting pumps from my brother. And, you know, and then we got the weight <laughs> set in my granny's garage. And, you know, like Arnold, Sergio Oliva, yeah. all of the bodybuilders started bodybuilding. Right? Yeah. Um, and then I've, I've always loved bodybuilding to this day. Still mm -hmm. love it. Um, and then- Moving forward, and then that's when I started playing football. So high school, more like one rep maxes, powerlifting type. You know, my my coach in high school was actually fantastic. Uh, we're from like this podunk two-way school in Missouri, right? Okay. And he was so far ahead of his time okay. with like the the plyometrics and the medicine ball work mm -hmm. and things like that. I didn't really appreciate that at the time, how well um, he prepared me. Introduced to that and then, you know, go to, to college. So more strength conditioning work there. And then after that, personal training in San Diego. So more like general fitness for the first time being exposed to like people that aren't athletes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember, I'll never forget the first time. This is like my first day as a personal trainer, 24 hour fitness and saying, I'm kind of digressing here. I'm sorry. No, that's good. Uh, so I go to train this dude. Right. And I just thought people started 135. I'm <laughs> I, I thought every man over the age of 10. And I remember I throw these plates on there and this dude looks at me and I'm like, I'm like, all right. And he unracks it and like crushes himself. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> And then I tried to play it off. I was like, you can't, I just, I'll, so, you know. Like, you can't even bitch. Like, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Poor guy, man. I wish I knew his name now. It was like yeah. 20 years ago. So I got apologize for that. Um, oh my God. And did, then, he, did he end up coming back for that? Oh yeah, we were, okay. yeah, we trained for like six months. And then he was finally able to hit 135 at some point. I, I can't remember, but I would hope so. I hope so. Yeah, I would He's hope so. He's still trying to get there. <laughs> yeah. 20 years later. <laughs> Probably never benches again. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> trauma another digression so i'll never forget like the first so i trained some kids that are in eighth grade right now and these kids are massively stronger than i was in eighth grade right i'll never forget the summer between my eighth grade year and my freshman year high school there's a party okay and i think it might have been the first time i drank alcohol or something like that okay. right? full disclosure <laughs> okay so i go to the basement and you know 15 year old idiot kid had some beer in him I see a bench press with 135 on and decide that's going to be the moment I try 135 for the first time. You know, I've been dancing with girls yeah. and, yeah. you know. You're feeling um, good. It was like a 10-minute life or death struggle in that basement. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, my <laughs> And I think God. I got it off me and like, yeah. up. so I, like, yeah. I don't judge these young kids for yeah. being idiots because I was there, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that, that has nothing to do with it. But anyway. But um, now, but you, you made a comment I want to circle back to. I've noticed this too, these eighth graders. I'll be like on TikTok. Dude, I saw this one the other day. Um, this dude's like six, eight playing basketball, just making moves that literally looks like he's in the NBA right now. When I was, when I was around that age, I mean, there was obviously some outliers and maybe social media highlights it now more than then, but man, Judd, I feel like these people are way far ahead. The men are way far ahead. They really ahead. are. Absolutely. I mean, it's I was unbelievable. Uh, I'm 30. That was like, um, I mean, how old are you in eighth grade? That was like 18, 17 years ago. Yeah. The evolution. Yeah, it's insane, man. Why? Um, I, pff, hormones. I, I have no clue. It might be a bigger population sample. Yeah. I, I don't really understand it because uh, I don't know how it is other places still. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just a huge population sample that we live in right now with, you know, you take two parents that probably were athletic, went to college, scholarships. So you combine good genetics with great nutrition, you know, and some of these kids that 
I got an eighth grader that's doing sets of eight Bulgarian split squats with 80 pound dumbbells. That's insane. I, I have grown men that oh, compete yeah, in bodybuilding that can't do that. And, you know, I just, but I've been training him since he's nine years old too. You know what I mean? So yeah. he gets started a lot earlier with all this instruction. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it's there's kind of a dichotomy though too, because we have those, but then also sometimes a lot of these kids are very skilled and they're not physically developed at the same time. It's like a weird thing. Yeah. So you do have these and you have another kid's like they don't have grip strength and stuff. Like Got it. Okay. Um, that would be a little bit easier to coach than the, the, the opposite. If you're just under physically developed, we can, you know, kind of catch you up. But if you just don't have the skill set, I think that there's, um, if you're looking at the progression of an athlete from a young age over time, there's my opinion you kind of never want to be too much further ahead than one than the other, because if you're this athletic freak, then you're, you're dominating the game because you're so much better than everybody else. I, I have a guy I grew up with. His name was Byron Thompson. That was him. He was a freak of nature, but then the, the recourse of that was he didn't practice the skills. Absolutely. And if he would have practiced the skills, he could have gone anywhere and played football or basketball that he wanted. But then all of a sudden you're a sophomore in high school yep. and everyone's equal mm -hmm. to you and you haven't developed that skill set. Um, also on another aspect that they, they don't get accustomed to failure at an early age. Mm. So they don't build resiliency. Mm. So it's almost a curse. These kids that develop earlier, they don't get used to failing. And the first time they fail, it's such a shock to them. They don't know how to overcome it. You know what I mean? Are you familiar with AQ? No. So there's IQ, EQ, and, uh -huh. and AQ is kind of a newer thing given this paradigm that we live in. The podcast that dropped today was discussing uh, this Harvard research sample of 11,900 and some individuals. That's talking about we're just creating problems because as real problems get solved, something like, and again, the disclaimer that I gave in that show, this is this was Harvard's example, not my example, but they said as discrimination gets solved, okay, well, now what else is an issue? Oh, I don't like the way that you're walking your dog. And now that becomes a thing. So true. Right? So we're living in this world of so no fucking adversity because everything's easy. And I'm immersed in it. I mean, you live outside of Austin. I, I live in the middle of downtown where whatever I need at any time, Judd, it's literally going to be at my front door in 20 minutes. No, it's, it's insane. And so there's no adversity in the day-to-day -day life that I have in terms of foraging and resourcing. It's all right there. Right? And, and that adversity brings people together, forms bonds and things like that. So yeah. now now there's a new rule or level that psychiatrists or biologists or whoever came up with it, that there's the IQ, the intelligence quotients, the EQ, the emotional quotients, but now there's an EQ and that's the adversity quotient. Makes sense. How much adversity have you actually been exposed to? And the AQ and EQ tie directly in together. Um, this is something I'm super nerdy about. I'm not sure you give a fuck about it at all, but like IQ, they kind of say is like, a lot large in part predetermined sure um you can stretch it you can exercise it sure. but eq and aq that's a hundred percent up to the situations you put yourself in and I, i'm not sure if you've ever seen me spoke about like wake the fuck up and do hard shit right now like right in the middle of the day yeah. your aq for the day is now elevated and so if you don't like the way someone's walking their dog it just doesn't matter because like i woke up today i trained legs and at the end of legs because i was coming on the podcast with you <laughs> i got on one of those those bikes at home oh yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. air bikes yeah yeah yeah. And i did eight rounds 10 seconds on 20 seconds off and i hate myself right now for it <laughs> but like judd you get on an air bike and you hit eight rounds at 10 20 
you can get in a car accident. And as long as you're walking out of the car, then you're, you're we have to be artificially and create stressful situations. And it's it, how healthy that is, it de is determined by what kind of stressful situation you create. Is it drama on your neighborhood webpage thing? Or is it a stressful situation in the weight room where you do something that in some way or another is going to scare you a little bit now within safety limits, right? Yeah. So I posted about this a long time ago. Like the reason I left heavy is because of that fear, there's a little bit of fear in there still. And then I create, I'm aware enough to create an artificial stressful situation mm -hmm. so that when so that i don't have to create drama mm -hmm. and i just feel like these people they have no drama it's not their fault they're not unaware of it that they have to create it An interesting thing um these psychologists were doing the things where they could activate different parts of the brain right yeah. and the people got to pick which part of the brain they activated the part that they activated the most was the part um that was like stressful and a little bit annoyed okay because when that happens it makes you feel alive and important it took them forever to figure this out. But these yeah. people, there's nothing in their lives that are stressful. Yeah. So they feel like their life doesn't matter. Like they haven't thought all this out yet. Yeah. But as long as they like dedicate themselves to some cause. Yeah. And it's like, you, so you're complaining about your the the turmoil on your Ireland vacation. Yes. It's like, yes. that's not stress. That's not stress. But I understand people. I don't like you. you I understand your psychological need to create a stressor in your life because yeah. you have no stress. I have this thing that ties into that. The more you talk about other people, the less aware of self you are. So true. Um, have you ever heard of the Eleanor Roosevelt quote? It's uh, small minds talk about people. Average minds talk about events. Big minds talk about ideals. I love that. And How would you somebody... say your friend group is? <laughs> uh, my friends. Uh, so <laughs> tangent, when you get older, you kind of get put into a friend group. Do you know what, what I mean? Like mean so, sometimes you don't always like it's whatever person you're with or neighborhood you live in. <laughs> okay. Those are your friends because and it's okay. like these aren't necessarily people I'd choose. Friends by proxy. Yeah, you know, but you know, I hesitate to call people friends. I like all them. Friends, I think friendship has to be earned. Yeah. Adversity, but yeah. Yeah. So most of my good friends growing up, they're they're not here. Um yeah. and th those are idea people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I can't be around why, why, why are you talking about other people? Call them, call them then. Yeah. Or shit, I'll call them. Yeah. Why are you talking about other people? That's goofy. Uh, but, but when I was like 25, 26, so Judd, I'm not, I'm not sure how long you followed me for. And I was like 25, 26, I had this massive ego problem. I was 25. I had an uh, over seven figure uh, fitness coaching company. And I mean, dude, you look back when you were 25, I think you were in the military. You're 25? Uh, yeah, 20, that's right when I got in. I got in if, a little bit later. Just imagine, if you're immersed in this business that is way bigger than you are, that like I couldn't possibly manage all of these things, and you're in this industry that is so highlighted and spotlighted that everyone thinks that they want a piece of the puzzle too. I, I was just very fortunate. I, I was yeah. very fortunate to be in this well, situation. Well, I'm sure talented, but yeah. I, was, uh, I appreciate that, but I, I mean, I was a fucking nutcase, dude. So- I was saying my drama was unbelievable because for the first time in my life, I didn't have financial issues. And like, I'm sure you've had financial issues in the past where it's like, dude, when you have that, you, that life is suffocating and, and horrible. You're not mentally well, you cannot have financial issues and be like mentally yeah. safe from yourself. And so now all of a sudden, like the first time in my life in 25 years, I don't have this issue. And dude, I created this drama oh, yeah. everywhere else. Well, that's why people get on these NFL players. And I'm like, dude, if you're 23 years old and they gave you $5 million, how would you spend it? I know I, I don't know if I'd spend that well right now. Shit. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the thing about CJ Stroud, he got all of his like rookie deal up front. 
And he got the whole thing up front. So there's no, he's off the books for like the next three years for the Texans so they can invest in other players and bring those people in. But he takes all of that and he lives, I mean, you know, he has a nice car, he has a nice house, but he put all of this into all these investments. That is incredibly responsible. Good for him. That blows my mind. Like he's one of the main investors of the uh, professional pickleball. Oh my God. Yeah. Think that's obviously blowing up. Yeah. Uh, he's a main investor. That's in so impressive to me when young men like that, that are stars, make that kind of responsible choice. I mean, that just blows me away. Some of these guys have been groomed, though. Some of you guys have been groomed. Um, I mean, I, I mean, he went to Ohio State, so I'm mm-hmm. sure there was a lot of education there. But some of these people make decisions that it's like you can tell no one thought they were actually going to make it or the people who thought they were going to make it had their best interests at, at heart and not the athlete's best interests. Because, I mean, you look at Lamar Odom and he's making all this money. And he had 138 phone bills he was paying, like 30-some yeah, more. I remember hearing about that one time, yeah. What? Or this one dude was paying like um, a dozen different Netflix accounts for all his friends That's or something insane. random, you know? That, like, like, don't do that. Yeah. So don't do it's that. It's hard if, to say no to your friends growing up, you know? And it's, it I understand is. how these guys- They all fuck you over. Yeah, they do. They, they, they genu- When you bring finances into it, you will get fucked up. Absolutely. If you keep it just love and just- emotion, I had people come out of the woodwork when IG blew up. I bet. And all of a sudden, you know I what bet. I mean? It's just, it's like, yeah, you know, I see you, bro. I've, I, I've had, I mean, your, your IG is far bigger than mine. I've had it with the podcast, so. Oh, yeah. Because. Well, you're on, more of an established you know, personality. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. Because dude. once you see a podcast start blowing up, it's like dollar signs. Like, especially right now, you so see. So disheartening, man. Yeah. It is, dude. But um, you know what I find positive about that, Judd, is. Um, the journey that you're about to go on and you're in right now, there's going to be a lot of heartache and heartbreak because there's going to be people that show themselves to you that you're not going to be able to ignore it. But now, you know, like now you have an answer, you know, their intentions. That's why, like, I almost feel bad for some of these stars that are single. It's like, cause you never really know if that person's loves yeah. you or loves the star power and the fame that you bring to that person. It's so hard to tell. How the hell do you date when you're famous and, I don't know. and single celebrity? Um, I feel so isolated. Something that I'm going to be interested in circling back with you on and we're, we're going to do this a year from now because you're going to be massive a year from now. The, the show is going to be more massive a year from now. Uh, Harry, um, Eric Weinstein has this thing. Um, I'm not sure if you know who he is. He's one of the great thinkers in the entire world. He's fascinating. About once you're famous, you're forever there. You, you, can't, you can't go out in public and not expect people to know you, talk to you. The way that those people treat you is different. You can't go. I mean, LeBron has a whole thing about, I just want to go to Walmart with my family. Oh, man, right. Um, like Eric was on a vacation in like Italy somewhere. On a vacation, not working, not nothing. Getting bombarded by his people. Um, I think it's weird as hell. Like I also live in Austin around a lot of like famous people. Like you see them and it's just... It, Austin's a real chill place. If you're going to be famous, it's probably one of the best. Yeah, places I agree. Famous. Yeah. yeah. Um, everyone's pretty it? respectful. And also, like, there's so many mega stars here. Like, you're not really that cool. Elon lives here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So many NFL players. So many. Like, NFL Tony players. Gonzalez was like chilling in our place. Like, the other that's, day. That's like, sick. Yeah. Just like waiting for his daughter to get on training. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, I'm, not, I'm like, oh my God, I'm looking at Tony Gonzalez. Yeah, like, like, that's so sick, huh? Yeah, right. Um, but it's, it's this whole thing that so many people think that they actually want that but once you get it everything you've ever done gets put under this microscope magnified 100x 1000x depending on how big you get that, well thanks for that uh <laughs> I, my future. <laughs> I know so so what's going to be interesting is 
you're not going to change. And I, 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 so I firmly believe this fame doesn't actually change you. It's the things about the people and the way they act yep. towards somebody that just makes you fucking numb, yeah, numb totally to it. I see that, man. Yeah. You know, what's funny is like the few, like really like my heroes that I've DM'd with a, a few times, like Ed Cohn and stuff yeah. and all these guys that I've had a chance to just say, Hey, I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Thank you. They're all such nice, positive people. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I, f I just really do feel like long-term fame and success and just being nice and positive, they tend to go together. I, I agree with that. I, I, of course, you're going to hear stories. Actually, I have a guy coming on Friday, Spencer Corson, and he does per private security for a lot of mega stars. So we're going to have a fascinating conversation about that. Oh God, that'd be so cool. Yeah. He and I went to coffee. Of course, there's not names that, that'll be able to be said on the podcast, but he and I went to coffee last week. Um, we were chatting about, and I was like, who's your least favorite people to work with? Oh, dude, I'm loved. <laughs> dude. I'll tell you after the show, remind me after the show. <laughs> because when I tell you the name of number one, you're not going to be surprised at all. But these people that were like the, his least favorite to work with were like these entertainers that started speaking their political opinion openly and started like clearly taking one stance and bashing everyone on the other side. Cause now they have this irrational fear that someone's up in buildings trying to snipe them. And it's like, Oh, oh no, you're, you're not that important. No, people don't care that much about you. And um, like if somebody could reach out and barely graze their jacket, they, they're just going ballistic. Oh my God. Be man. Like, like it's not that it's not that be because as soon as you pass that conundrum, which that's something I don't talk about on my show. And I mean, at some point, someone will talk about politics on my show. I don't have much to say about it. But once you turn that page, just don't, you, you cannot go back. Politics and, and faith. You got to be real careful of those two things. You got to be real careful. I'll talk about faith. Yeah. You know, I'll talk about faith a um, little bit because I'm very lost on my spiritual journey. But. Faith, and but religiosity and maybe two different things. Um you know, when you start pushing an idea, yeah, or like you're so ingrained in the doctrine and the minutia of your faith, yeah, that it's you know what I mean. That you just look for more and more confirmation bias, trying yeah, to exactly. double down, and anyone who's against you is an enemy. Once you cross that line, the entire world starts to look very dark to you, though. Uh, it really does. You start seeing it darkness everywhere, everywhere, because that's what you're actively looking for. Um, I'm not sure your relationship with it, but I, I've stated this on the podcast before i just want to brush over it because i i do want to continually remind people while you know this year is unfolding dudes be as involved as you would like to be but the further removed you are going to be away from the situations that unfold this year the much mentally at peace and i think healthier you're going to be i'm sure we have some research on this oh man that there has to be research of mental health for how involved you are are you standing outside with picket fences for you know for one party or another um my fa i hate this my family has like they'll have a sign or two out in their front yard on election years yeah i personally don't like that. my neighborhood's a weird place because that's it, the you know it's the biden trump and like you just everybody declares their side and it's just but the thing is you know they try to say that we're at war and it's like you guys still believe 99 of the same stuff you still walk your part like it's not that bad i've been to places in the military where sunni and shia and Kurds don't talk to each other. They're at war. Why like, don't they? What? What? What's? What's that dynamic? 
I'm not familiar with their dynamic. Uh, uh, real quick history, you know, um, you know, basically Iraq was created after World War One. Uh, the European powers divided up. It was it. never really meant to be a country. Okay. So you have this little simplification, but you have three main tribes there. You have the Kurds, you have Sunni and Shia. Yeah. So Shia more like Iranians, Persians, Kurds up north like Turkey area, northern Iraq, Sunni more, you know, Saudi Arabia. Okay. And it's basically thirds, right? I think yeah. Shia are population. And they hate each other and they were never meant to be one country. And it's basically held together by a brutal dictator, mm -hmm. Saddam Hussein forever. Mm -hmm. And when we remove that, their tribal allegiances over were more you know important to them than their nationalism i mean afghanistan the same way afghanistan yeah. was created by european power and it's can just I, those can, people were never meant to be a country. can i ask you a question that if you're not comfortable answering it's perfectly okay if you don't answer it but um i see a lot of stuff about people saying that maybe saddam hussein wasn't all that bad he was bad he was a bad human being right okay. he committed horrible war crimes okay he gassed seven thousand kurds fuck tortured actually his sons were even worse okay as far as like i think it's a good thing in the long run that we, we removed him because um, iraq is a democracy right now it's controlled by iran to okay. large extent but it is a functioning democracy um and it was a dictatorship, a dictatorship. okay but he did hold that country together and prevented a lot of violence okay because of his strong arm a lot of sectarian violence is the inner continental violence worse or better now than when he was in power do you know are you talking about like the middle east area or? yeah really the whole middle east yeah uh it's it's different because you know now you have the whole yemen thing okay, going yeah. on it's been going on for years and then yeah. you know after he was removed then syria fell apart yeah and it's just shifted that place is always gonna be a nightmare and seems a lot like of it. it is because of how we divided up the countries after World seems War. like it um this next statement will get a little bit too political for my show so i'm gonna make it and then backtrack to something else but i what i don't understand is why the fuck are we so involved as a country always it well i say i don't understand that and then you start looking at how some money flows in certain places and you start to understand and put some things together um that being said the um vladimir putin interview recently Oh, I didn't see it, man. Oh, I've been so removed from yeah, everything. Yeah, he, uh, I, I, I did one of the highlight things down TikTok. He was talking about how, like, Ukraine is supposed to meant to be part of Russia and all that stuff. And I found that super interesting. I like when everyone and anyone is just able to express their opinion. Sure. And Absolutely. their belief system. Absolutely. Because a good thinker, like, you're, you strike me as a good thinker. And I've seen your Instagram, the way that you word things, it would... Um, it would tie into that. A good thinker can take this idea and this idea and this idea and this idea and forge them together from four different sources and kind of put together their own thoughts. Um, we don't have enough good thinkers. I do think that the podcasting space is a very important form of media outlet because most people have like three or four podcast artists that they listen to. Some are music artists. So if you listen to me and then you go listen to somebody else, you listen to somebody else, we're probably all talking about things that you're rather interested in in a roundabout way that you can take all of our thoughts, put them together and now form your thoughts. Yeah. Right. It's conversation too. Like it's, it is, yeah. it is. Um, I think that there's this interesting situation. I want to get into your military background now. There's this interesting situation that I find of being absolutely fascinated with <laughs> I say this tongue in cheek, why we have to have war and why we have to have people like go overseas and why I have to do all that. Because again, when you see the way the money flows, I understand it, but you were in this, mm -hmm. like you were, you were in Iraq. 
Where else have you been? Uh, just to Afghanistan, Iraq and Afghanistan. What's life like over there? Well, it depends on where you're at, but it's usually brutal and sad and dark. And, you know, it's a beautiful, it's like we talked about adversity, right? Yeah. You have beautiful human beings with beautiful relationships that love their kids living in a very dark world. So you, you, they actually deal with adversity and they don't get upset about the small stuff. Yeah. You know, we drive through a town and, and give these kids a soccer ball and they sit around and share a Gatorade. They'd share it like it's a treat. Now we have kids that, that you know, they take 10 Gatorades and throw five of them away. Yeah. And I can't blame those kids. I mean, it's, they're, they're conditioned to be like yeah. that, but it's like, we just don't understand how some people have to live. And it's not that they're better or worse people, because if that was superimposed over America, we'd be just as dark. Yeah. You know? Um, have you been somewhere in America that like, man, this place is so bad. It reminds me of. Oh yeah. Um, really? Uh, lots of places in rural Missouri, gravel roads, methamphetamines, you know, like Afghanistan is opium, you know. Yeah. Um, a lot of these places, they revolve around drugs. The human vices are universal. You they know what are. I mean? It's like you can't get rid of those with a religion. Yeah. You know, people, there's prostitutes all over Iraq and there's drugs and people making alcohol in their basement. Yeah. You know, and then you also see like the care for the elderly over there. There's no health care. So these old people will just die these horrible, slow deaths in these back rooms. You know, and it's just, it's a brutal way to live. Yeah. And, but there's moments of beauty in that. I remember, so we go into, we're in Huija, which is a shithole town in Northern okay. Iraq. And we actually raid the wrong house. Okay. It's, it's right next to him. We're looking for a guy. We go in there and the family's watching television. And everyone starts screaming and panicking. And then I'll never forget, man, there's um, like a three-year-old girl and she's crying and I'm fucking kidded up. Right. Yeah. And my first human reaction, because right away you can tell we're in the wrong place, is I kneel down and I open up my arms. And this young Iraqi girl runs to me and hugs me. And, and I look like a freaking, yeah. you know, yeah. alien to her. Yeah. And it's just a natural human, like I take a knee and open my arms to her and she just felt that I wasn't a threat. And as soon as that happened, they all start laughing and joking and it just completely diffused the situation. And then our interpreter asked where the guy was. And he's like, oh yeah, he's right there. He's an asshole. Please go in. But it's just like, just a natural, people are just human beings. They are. They yeah. Are. And, That's interesting you say that. I, I had heard something similar. I do a lot of um, TikTok and YouTube search of like what it's like to live in other countries. And this one guy is going through this insane part of Africa. He's a white dude going through an insane part of Africa right now. And he said that same thing the other day. He's like, man, these like these people are just human beings. And exactly what you said, if what's going on here was imposed in America, you would all act the exact same way. And like that's the message he wants to get out. Um, I, I want I want to ask you something before I lose it though. You said when you raided the house as soon as you went in, you knew it was the wrong house. Like is it a feeling? Is it a... Yeah. Just, you know what I mean? Like, you just know, yeah. like these, this is not the right place, you know? And then you, cause you know, their um, center of influence, you know, the people that hang out with socio West, they just didn't, nothing fit, you know? Um, and, and two other times over there. And this one is in Afghanistan. I've written about this in other places, but we actually kill an old man. Yeah. Um, he pointed cane at us as night. And my saw gunner lit him up, went through the door, killed his wife or, you know, and how they live over there in these big multifamily compounds. Right. So we go in, found out right away. We killed two civilians. I, we'd already been in a firefight before that. Like we're in the middle of a firefight yeah. that's happened. So we stay there the entire day because you have to pay them. That's yeah. the only way you can make amends. Right. With these, you know, 20 kids that are mourning their dead grandparents in front of us. And I'll never forget, man. Um, at lunchtime, they make food and they bring us food. Like we just killed your grandparents and you bring us food. So I, I'm a Christian, right? But I cannot stand it when I hear people say they hate Muslims. First of all, as a Christian, you're not supposed to hate anybody. Yeah. 
Secondly, um, you don't know that many Muslims. Yeah. And last of all, like I had Muslims serve with and for me. They sacrificed their lives for me. And I saw these people with this faith that you detest be real, genuine, kind human beings. And it's just like, man, it's a different faith, bro. Like I, I got it. I'd almost rather that than somebody says they're a Christian and they, they don't embody anything that Christ embodied. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the stuff like that that really bothers me because I like, they say this stuff and I was like, when's the last time you talked to a Muslim? Yeah. Probably never. Don't you feel like we were just kind of conditioned after 9-11? Yeah, I mean, there's always been a little um, anti-Islamic fervor in the country. There? Okay. Yeah, for quite a while, you know, well, and, and it shifts. Like before, it was Jews, and then it was like Italians. Yeah, you know, like okay, <laughs> it just shifts. It just yeah, comes Catholics. Up. Remember the evil Catholics were coming over in America? <laughs> like what? <laughs> j j just because we have to be built on hating somebody. Yeah, it's like there has to be sides, right? Yeah, and it's just crazy to me. Like there has to be. So there are these two tribes in Sudan. I can't remember what they're called, the Nuar as one of them. They're like goat herding tribes and they're virtually identical. But one of them, they hate each other. And one of them in the original language is called the people and the yeah. other one that calls themselves the original people. Okay. And they're constantly at war. Okay. And, and since then, religion and policy has been overlaid on top of that tribal feud. Yeah. But if you look at them from the outside, it's just like two towns in the Midwest yeah. that if you look at these two towns, they are identical yeah. and they hate each other yeah. over sports or something, right? Yeah. It's like you guys have so much in common. And it's like the only way to bring that together is to create a bigger enemy outside of your hatred for each other. That it's it's a sad thing to say, but the only the thing that brings people together more than anything else is fear and hatred of, of a group of people they don't know. And because the negative negativity bias having to form tribes when we were actually having like issues with a saber toothed tiger attacking and taking out your village. And so the only way for you to guarantee you live to the next day is by having a tribe around you, not being isolated. It's the negativity bias of humans. You And, you know, we could sit here and talk about like, oh, man, like, I wish we could. Uh, that's in our genetic makeup. Yeah, that's our genetic makeup from hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah, there's of not much to do about it. We're at but, now. but that's why the most successful leaders are always somebody that that creates an enemy, and there's an adversity. Like Hitler did it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like um, you, you create somebody. We bond together and we put our differences aside because there's a bigger threat that we need to deal with. Yeah. You know what I mean? I have this thing about. Um, I'm, I'm a podcast. So I have a thing for everything. <laughs> I just see that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have this thing about social media. When I go to your social media page, for example, this is how everyone who gets introduced to me, uh, there's, there's a certain type of person I want to have on the show. And it's interesting because I have the most diverse guests of, I've probably ever seen on a podcast. When I go to someone's page, specking them for a show, I want to see, do you have an enemy that you're continually combating? Or do you have a celebration of ideology that you're bringing people together on? If you're having an enemy, we're not a fit. I That's don't a care great way if, to look at it, man. If you are modern day Hitler with a hundred million followers that you can bring those eyes to my show, you can't come on my show. Yeah, that's a great um, way to look at it. You celebrate the ideology of, hey, I can just do things a little bit differently and I respect everyone's opinion. And this is my background. This is who I am. This is how I train. I look like this. Um, but the issue is exactly as you said, every single great leader built a cult around something that they hate. I hope to be a great leader in this life, but I want to build a cult around things that I love and celebrate ideology. The whole essence of the Grow Die podcast is come open-minded, leave well-equipped. I've had people on here that are the most far-right individuals that are literally donating to Trump's campaign. I've had people on here who created transgender surgery and who um, obviously championed for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, 
You know, I have like yourself on here, served in the military. I have Spencer coming on here. Next week, I have three women coming on here, all with different ideologies. If you guys, that's what I want to celebrate. Is this just a melting pot for every single ideology for good thinkers to possibly coexist? But when we look at... Again, I mean, it's 2024, it's the elections. I have no idea what Trump's policies are, Biden's policies are, but I I guarantee they're almost polar opposites. And you are going to hate the other person and say that they're wrong. And that's the people that you are going to attract into your circle. And, you know, you look at the protest groups. When you are protesting something, you're rallying people around shit that you hate. And you're trying to champion more people into hating this idea but it makes people feel so purposeful mm-hmm. and Absolutely. fulfilled yes. back to not having any AQ because they don't have any adversity that they're actually going to. So with that. And someone to blame. They can't. So, they, yeah. so they're not the root of the problems and they have a purpose now. Yeah. Someone is, is the root of your problems and now your purpose is to combat that person or group of people or ideology or whatever it might be. But it's too hard. It's very hard to come to that realization in life. You, I'm assuming, not to speak for you, but I'm assuming you had a fucking Iraq and Afghanistan and it hits you in the fucking skull that, wow, Judd, every problem you have in your life is is you. Do you know what's funny though? You have to be receptive to it because I served with several people that went over there and they hate Muslims more and they, and okay. they, they I love America yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's a shithole. America's great. Yeah. And you have to actually look, you know, you can't just, Mark Twain said, you can't just like float over the waters. You have to swim through the waters. Yeah. You have to look at the people first, assume they're people. Yeah. You know what I mean? And say, if I was this person that grew up in this way, how would I feel about things? Yeah. You know, and then you can have some, you know, an emotive bond with them or empathy for them. So there's a great book I read. I recommend to anybody called The Righteous Mind. It talks about the five pillars of morality. Okay. And uh, his biggest thing is it doesn't matter how right you are or how clear your argument is. It's the elephant and the rider. Your elephants are your emotions and your riders are your intellect, right? If your elephants don't form an emotive bond first, it doesn't matter what you say that person, they're going to shut you down. That's one of the reasons Joe Rogan's so effective. People like him. I've heard conservatives that would never consider a, a liberal point of view. And Joe Rogan says something. They're like, well, think about it. That actually made sense. It's because they like Joe Rogan. Mm. You know what I mean? He doesn't just come and yell at people. Yeah. He talks with them and he he relates to them first in a genuine way. Yeah. Like there, I can really, there's everybody that you can relate to genuinely on some level about some things. I agree. And like, why are you going to shout at them before you relate to them? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The vehicle comes in the tonality that you can take first. I mean, you and I might have completely opposing views on something I'm sure we could find, but if I talk to you like this and you're probably not going to get very I'm already upset. receptive to whatever. Yeah. yeah to, to whatever the ideology is. Um, you know, it comes down to communication skills, which I don't think people are much of, but your work now day to day is you're working with young kids, um, doing speed work, which by the way, when I was like a young kid, I did not have nah, access nah. to that stuff. Well, like, well, we didn't do speed work. We, I don't, I don't know what we did. We rode bikes <laughs> and like probably tried to break rules and TP'd people's house. Um, there's some lessons that only sports can teach you. And obviously they're all entrenched in that. I'm not sure how much interaction you have. You say you have a young daughter. I mean, a son. Yeah. A, a, a young son. I'm not sure how much interaction you have with people that, with kids that are not involved in sports, but I'm assuming you could tell a massive difference in the way that a, a kid is acting and going about and viewing life if they're involved in a sport versus. 
Theoretically, you I would like to believe that. Okay. Th- this is the problem, though. Okay. The parents don't use the sports enough as a learning lesson to teach the things that we're talking, alluding to here. Okay. They use it as a, almost their kid is like an extension of what they want it to be, and they bulldoze obstacles out of the way. Oh boy! They encourage you know it's a it's it's it's. it's if you go about it the right way, sports is a fantastic thing, and it turns into a very negative drama filled thing. So, especially yeah. in that part of town, yeah, it's just like the internet should be the greatest thing in the history of the world, right? Should. You know, everyone should have more knowledge um, now than we've had in human history. Instead, it's just filled with porn. You know, it's like we use the vehicle in the way we're going to use the vehicle. And right now, the vehicle of sports here, it's like, you know, the winning is the most important thing, not competing. Like, I feel like parents confuse either liking to win with being competitive. Those are two different things. Being competitive is you put yourself in situations where there's a good chance you're going to lose. And if you're truly competitive, you're going to probably lose a lot. Yeah. And they try to stack the deck because they like to win. Yeah. You know, and the, I, I see the dad sometimes going to these eighth grade practices and like yelling at the coaches and things like extraordinarily healthy things that you're doing this in front of your child or yelling at the ref and blaming the ref after the kid loses, whether the ref was to blame or not. You're teaching your child to blame other people. It's just, I just see it every day. And this is not all the parents, but I see it in the community. And it's just like, it's, you're taking something beautiful and you're ruining it. Mm-hmm. You know, I always tell people you're tied to your kid with a rope. Okay going forward your kid can pull you where they want to go the only you can't push your kid with a rope Mm -hmm. and these parents are trying to push your kid with a rope all you can do is hold them back if they're going someplace they shouldn't go if you're negative you can hold them back from going to places they should go or if they get off track you can kind of pull them back on track a little bit Mm -hmm. but these parents are trying to push these kids with a rope I saw this explained unbelievably well by somebody on socials the other day, and I'm going to try to reiterate it as best I can. Um, when you break down success, there's only two types. Like, there's the people that make it and the people that don't make it, right? Okay, so everyone starts with this baseline where you're even, Okay. But what dictates the route that you're going to take is your ability to respond emotionally to the losses and the people who actually accept losing. Because the people who don't make it, that's going to be my right hand. The people who do make it is going to be my left hand. They'll go a couple steps and then something happens and they're gone. And then, oh, I don't like how this feels. I've never lost before. I hate losing. I'm shameful. It demeaned who I am and what I am. Whereas the person who actually ends up making it is someone who sort of takes this arc around and like achieves success. You have to go back a little bit. You're going to take some losses. You're going to bounce back down. But with these losses, they just realize things that, okay, that didn't work, but okay, maybe this one can work. And they're more innovative in their thinking to not just think, oh my God, loss, I'm done self-worth. And then you start making a little bit of upward trajectory and these people will as well, but then they can't handle that their family doesn't accept them anymore. And these people use that to push a little bit further or these people get past the family won't accept them. But oh my gosh, now everyone on social media hates me. And all of a sudden this arc, they put within through all this stuff, all these little losses and now they finally made it right. Well, this is going to come down to what did your parents instill in you? Because there's only so much of that that you can defeat. And my parents were cool with me quitting anything after I started it and completed one whole phase of whatever it was. I hated soccer. I started soccer. I had to finish the whole season of soccer before I was done. I didn't love golf. And it's funny, I was actually a little bit good at it. Like now, Yeah, I know, it's funny. Like it's, yeah, but I didn't love it. 
we signed up for five months of lessons. I had to finish all five months of lessons. And that's what, just what my parents put into me. Just completing what you started. But if I saw my dad when I wasn't great at football or baseball, and then I worked my way into being really good at them both. If I saw my dad going to the coach in fourth grade, screaming at him because I batted last on the team because I was the worst batter, what the fuck would that have put in me? Instead, and dude, I mean, I would advocate for this. I'm not a parent yet, but like, I'm probably going to parent somewhat similar. Instead, we get out of a game that just went 0 for 5 in T-ball. Mm -hmm. And my dad's in the car and he looks at me and he goes, why can't you hit? But what do you need for me to be able to hit? Yes. Like, when you get up to the plate, you got to hit the ball. And that that's just how I was raised. My dad had a lot of flaws, but goddamn, the way he raised me as it pertains to sports, that's honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say that that's why I've been successful. One last anecdote about that. This podcast, our four-year anniversary is in three weeks. In December of 2023, I made more money from this show than I did in the previous 30-whatever months that it was combined. Because I had to do this. Yeah. I look at the data. The I assess point, the numbers. Right? It's yeah. the tipping point. Mm -hmm. And then you look at January and it's like, oh, fuck. Like, it's, it's like you, good. people stop digging and they don't know they might be right there. They just right stop there. digging. Yeah, it's the yeah. meme. Yeah. It's, it's that whole meme. That's right. Dude, just keep fucking swinging. Like, look at you. Like, dude, for you, a, a, a lesson, because I think that a lot of folks your age are going to listen to this show. Dude, everyone can see that Anton guy that won the Classic Physique Nationals at like 19 years old this past year with the craziest look since Chris Bump said all that. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, man, you know what? Like, if only. But like, Judd's 44. And it just hit oh. in September of this year. Absolutely. Yeah. You're just now, like, you're doing this. Oh, man, you went to the military, Iraq, Afghanistan, like, have a kid. You got every fucking excuse that you could possibly make. You're not a bodybuilder. You're not a power lifter. You're not an athlete. You're all of them. So, you know, there's a lot to unpack there, man. But the biggest thing I would tell kids is, and parents when they're guiding kids, is find out what your kid is passionate about and nurture that passion because you'll never get tired of something if it's your passion. And it's not like, and success won't be determined entirely by how much money you make. Uh, you know, I always tell people, I was just as good a trainer when I had 2000 followers as now that I have 400,000. The amount of followers you have does not, if there's somebody out here watching this podcast and they have 400 followers, I don't want them to think they're not as good a trainer as I am mm -hmm. just because I have more followers. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, no, like if you have a passion for it and you're helping people in your life on a daily basis and you have a passion for others, then you're good at what you do. You know what I mean? Like follow your passion and success eventually will just come. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're always out looking for success, like best way to say, like, what's your passion, man? And if people don't have a passion, they probably won't be successful. That's a difficult one to unpack. I go back and forth on that. I know. I don't know anyone who's happy that isn't passionate, but I know some people that have very traditional metrics of success achievement, aka wealth, yes. the marriage, kids, yes. house, cars, friends, that aren't passionate. Yeah. But they don't have that same level of fulfillment mm -hmm. driving them. So then are they truly successful though? Because you can stumble into wealth. Does I that know. mean? You know I go I mean? back and forth on that. I just think there's other metrics to success than fame and, and wealth. My issue is when you have kids and even that doesn't light up the passion in you, I which I, 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 
I don't have kids, so I I can't really. I know how I feel about Peyton, who's <laughs> yeah. oh, you'll have a kid, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it's difficult because there's no one universal metric of success. Passion is a thing that is so commonly talked about, and I talk about it all the time. But like, I mean, talking to you for an hour that it's been like, you've always had passion. I've always had passion. We, I was born and I was passionate, and you you have that too. We're in this awful situation now of technology advancing so fast, which is so good in so many realms. But I mean, you have a, a son and I'm not sure, you know, all the gadgets that he gets to have and stuff, but like, how do you get your kid to go out and find your passions when like, well, you know, Tommy is over here playing on his Apple vision and and I don't have one or the game is so addicting on the iPhone. It's a hard world to raise kids in right now. I, I agree. And I don't make all the right decisions with them either. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, the biggest thing I, I think you can do for kids is, you know, you, you can tell them whatever you want to tell them you know, be the example of what you want them to become, Yeah. you know, and mainly in like how you react to failure and deal with adversity, how you interact with other people. Are you courteous and polite? Are you giving like, you know, rather than trying to make sure you tell them all the right things, you know what I mean? And then also like be a safe place for them. Like, I just feel like it's so important that kids need to know that they can come to their parents and that it's a safe place for them. Yeah. Um, because that always gives them a safe harbor to come back to in the world. And if they don't feel like they're safe with you, they're not going to come to you and they're going to make decisions without your input. And you're going to cut yourself out of their life because every time they come to you, you judge them and criticize them as if you didn't also make those same mistakes. The first thing every time Levi does, if I can generally, this is my son's name, is say when he makes a mistake, that first thing I says, listen, I, I did the same thing when I was your age. I understand, but here's how we're going to do it different because I learned from my mistakes. Not, not like, I can't believe you did that, you know, because then they just feel cut off and isolated. You know, yeah, um, that's powerful. I, it's, it's, I, I didn't mistakes. experience that as a, as a kid. I, I didn't either. A lot. I, my dad, he, he was a loving guy, but he yeah. was raised in a very harsh environment, and it wasn't that safety net all the time. But yeah. I always knew my dad was there for me. He just wasn't emotionally comforting. You know what I mean? And I'm not mad at my dad for that at all. I love no, him. yeah, you got to be able to give that up. I very recently have worked through a lot of letting my parents have the um, benefit of the doubt, if you will. But we see people just having kids just to have kids and, and not working through previous traumas that they experienced maybe from their parents. And so if you don't even have a safe space within yourself or you don't have a safe space within your relationship and then you have a kid and bring it to the mix. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think that's what we're seeing. It, oh, it's a same clip. Right? Absolutely. Um, and this is actually, this is a little bit off topic, but I, I, I do want to chat about this. Um, you having some of the experiences you have in life. Um, 82%, I believe it was, we can find the study, 80 or the, um, the actual numbers. 82%, I believe, was of the SSRIs in the world, antidepressants and things in the world, are prescribed to Americans who are adults. Yeah, that's insane. With like adult ADHD. Yeah, that's insane. And we're giving these things, calling ADHD everything in the book. Some of it's just emotional trauma. Some of it's just a little trough of, you know, we're, was something that happened in your life. And we're giving these to parents and then they're having kids. And then the example that's being set is kids sees parent every time they're stressed or anxious or whatever, pop this pill. And usually with alcohol. 
You know, oh my God, dude. You, it's you, funny how we're blind to how much alcohol we consume in front of our kids on a regular basis. But you that made I mean? you think about it more, having a kid? Made you think about it more? Uh, do you drink oh, alcohol? Yes, I do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, um, I don't sit down and drink an entire bottle of wine in front of my kid. Fuck. You know what I mean? And it's just, we do it and don't think it. But kids see it. They see everything, man. It's like, do we think they don't see that? And like you said, they don't, you think they don't see us taking our pills? And yeah. Do they think they don't see us gossiping with our neighbors? Like, do we think they just shut down? No, they watch everything. They yeah. take in everything, man. Yeah. Um, as, as I've gotten more clear on the fact that I definitely want to have kids in my life, that's become very evident to me. And I think that's why I've moved on maybe some from, from some relationships that were in my life. As now, uh, Peyton's like my model kid. And because he does everything with me. Like he's literally. <laughs> that was me with Emily for a decade, man. Exactly. Really? Oh yeah. yeah. Best friend. Does everything really, with yeah. me. Oh yeah. Well, this was a kid that was actually consuming what I'm consuming right now. And in the room that I'm in right now. And would I, would I want that kid to be hearing these conversations, being in these people's energy and, and all that stuff? And it's interesting. That was probably September of last year, actually. Um, so September was a pitiful month for both of us. And now you know, five, six months down the road, however long it's been, there's a lot of changes that have happened. But having a kid, you become hyper aware of all the things around you. So I'm assuming with your training style now and the way that you approach the gym, there has to be some drive to like make Levi proud or like to lead Levi by example or sure. it, like, like, do you think about that actively? Uh, not in my professional career as much. I'm proud of, with him, I'm proud that he knows I train kids. Yeah. Um, people have come up to him recently and said stuff about my Instagram. He doesn't know what that is or how big my muscles are. I believe yeah. I could care less about my muscles and I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. You know, um, I just want him to know that um, if there's one thing Levi knows that I train kids, that I train kids. Yeah. And, and that I care about my kids. Yeah. You know, and uh, that I invest heavily in, in people's success. But yeah. as far as like knowing how much money I make or how famous I am, yeah. I don't care. He doesn't care. He gets so annoyed when people come up to me. It's so funny. He rolls his eyes. I was good. like, good. That's <laughs> a good I love response. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Yeah. That, that's a way better response to him soaking it up and like, you know, enjoying it. And he's but, not at all into sports, really. Like, he just started throwing a football a little bit. He's not incredibly athletic, yeah. you know? And it's, and people say, like, is your kid in football? Are you disappointed he's not into football? I'm like, no, man. He's into comics yeah. and writing and drawing oh, and beautiful. telling stories. And to me, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I'm going to be into whatever he, I was never into Marvel. Yeah. You know, but now I am because he knows every Marvel character, every DC character. He makes his own comics. He has his own comic book character called Captain Cape. That's and incredible. he's created villains. And like, I'm proud of that. Yes. I could care less. I love football, but that's yes. my love. Yeah. And I am into what my kid is into. Yes. If my kid wants to get into bodybuilding one day, that's great. But if yeah. not, oh, well, yeah. there's more to life than, you know, I want him to be physically fit and healthy. Yeah. That's it. I want him to pick one activity that he loves. I don't care what it is, physical mountain biking, skateboarding, surfing, I could care less yeah. and do something physical, express his body in a physical way in some way. I could care less what it is. You know? That's powerful. The, the, there's a lot of parents listening to this show, which is actually quite surprising given I'm not one. If you want to bond with your kid late in life and you will, yeah. you'll want them to come back, be into what they're into. Because yeah. you're gonna, you want your kid to come back. You build this immense house in a guest room, and then every time you see them, you lecture them, you judge their life, you criticize them. You built this two million dollar home, and your kid never wants to be there because he can't stand you. That's just the truth. You're not your kid's friend. You you don't even know what's going on in your kid's life because they don't tell you because they don't feel safe with you. You know, like just it's it, when we look at it, it's simple. Be your be your fr kid's friend. Yeah, it doesn't mean you have to like condone everything they do. Yeah, but be their friend first, right? Yeah, man.
That's intense. I'm happy that you said that. You're definitely a leader in that uh, in that community. I would like to see you talk more about parenting on your Instagram. I really would. I really would. Yeah. Um, a question for you talking about your professional career and, and with what you have going on in your fitness world. Obviously, you're going to start training people here relatively soon. Um, what's your goal? What, what, you, what do you want to accomplish with your training and where your physique goes, where your performance goes, like, what drives you? Uh, yeah, my personal goals for my personal body, um, just maintaining functionality for as long as I can in life. You know what I mean? Um, I want to be able to feel good and move and be able to do general athletic things for as long as I can yeah. and not slowly just see things taken away from me. It's going to happen. Uh-huh. That's nature. But just extend that. I just hate it when I see people that are 50 and 60 and they can't jump down off a porch step. They can't go out and throw the football with their kid. They, you know, and they can't, you know, ride bikes sometimes. Like that is my worst fear is losing that before a ripe, ripe old age. And then having my kid be in his teens and twenties and thirties or my grandkids Mm -hmm. and I can't do anything with them. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't really have any performance goals. I know that that bothers people. I'm not really in fitness, a goal person for myself. I'm a habits person. Okay. You know, I want to create healthy fitness habits. Yeah. And then every day challenge myself in a new way. Yeah. You know, I just don't set fitness goals for myself very often. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want people to take that the wrong way that I discourage that. It's just not because what happens after the goals met, then you just have to create a new goal, right? Like a habit is something that you'd build upon and continue for life regardless. Mm-hmm. And a habit is not affected by injuries or life circumstances. Mm-hmm. So like if I have a goal to do this and something happens to me that's outside of my control, I just lost that goal. Mm-hmm. It's a failure, even though you never actually failed. You set the goal, mm-hmm. right? I, I'm not against goals, but I'm pro habits. Yeah. yeah. What you're explaining, Dr. Hugh Hunger and I discussed in a Gordai podcast that dropped um, last week, last week from when this one drops. So after you guys are done listening to this, go check that one out. But we talked about the vision being the overarching reality that's going to continually drive us forward. And if we can become the captain of the vision ship rather than the goal ship, Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to get so so much further because um, this little goal, goals are going to have too many cofactors that are sometimes going to get in the way of them. But the vision doesn't have a, a cofactor that's ever going to get in its way. Completely agree. So if you can go to a habits plus um, uh, vision type of reality that you're living in, your odds of doing this with your success are much greater because, well, I didn't meet, I didn't meet this goal. So now I fell off and you can only fall off so many times without getting the positive reinforcement. The hard part there is there's not going to be much instant gratification, which is where your habits become the instant gratification, but you're explaining that whole conundrum. And that's one of my favorite things that I've honestly taken from the show because as a bodybuilding coach, we set goals with a lot of our athletes um, and people love having that goal because you're trying to walk them down a hallway and every single room needs to have something in it that they go in and get and take. And I I wish it wasn't that way. I'm I'm not that type of person, but if you don't have these goals set, it seems like that hallway kind of becomes a black, empty, dark room. I'm definitely not anti-goal. You know, I think goals are, I think goals have to be built upon habits. You know what I mean? But, but what I'm trying to find Judd is how in, in my coaching practices, 
I mean, you're working with kids and you're getting them motivated to go forward and move forward. So there's something to be learned here. We, how do we take the vision plus the habits and, and what essence do we add to that that's not necessarily like a, 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 a goal to be able to get them on the path with, towards the vision with their habits? Well, I, well, I definitely framework. have goals for my kids, quantitative goals that they that we're trying to meet, you know, okay. number wise. Absolutely. I think okay. goals are very important in that. But it's the, the learning how to prepare mm -hmm. to achieve the goal. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, even if the goal is not met, if you learned how to properly prepare for that goal, mm -hmm. then it's a victory. And vice versa, too, if you meet your goal, but you just lucked into it or gifted and you didn't do all the preparation, form the habits, do the little things right, then that goal means nothing, honestly, at the end of the day. It's just a number, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think the goal is important, but it's, it's the learning how to achieve the goal that is the really the important thing. Learning how to prepare is more important than winning the game. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. there, I mean, there's a couple things, like I always get very disheartened when people will say things like, I'm not an athlete. And I wish I was an athlete. I'm like, well, you, in your mind, you, I, if, so if somebody put me in a body right now as morbidly obese and weak, to me, that wouldn't be a big deal because I identify as an athlete. It's just, okay, well, now I just have to, I'm already an athlete. I have to get back on the right track. You would they end identify, up where you are now anyways. Exactly. They yeah. identify as a morbidly obese, unathletic. Yeah, person. yeah. And they almost have to change their identity. Yeah. I'm yeah. an athlete stuck in this body that yeah. is not, doesn't have these capabilities right now. And I'm going to work to to become the athlete that I already am. Yeah. And another thing that bothers me and I get so disheartened is like, you know, I want to lose weight for this vacation. Mm. So that's an extrinsic goal. And they'll never be powerful enough to sustain a habit because you want to look good on this vacation so that other people see you look away mm -hmm. so you can take pictures for one moment in time. Mm -hmm. So all the preparation you're doing is for that one moment. And when it's done, you revert back to your old habits. Yeah. And it's like, until you're, I always tell people, until you're uncomfortable with your body sitting in the line at McDonald's waiting for your, you know, your Big Mac or whatever it is, until you're uncomfortable with yourself, then when no one sees you, you're just uncomfortable being with yourself and the way your body feels, you'll never be motivated on a substantial level consistently to make permanent changes. As long as you're making changes because you want other people to see you in a different way, that's intrinsic. So 80% of a normal person's day, no one's looking at them. Mm. 99% of a person's day, no one's looking at them with their clothes off. Mm -hmm. So that's, if your only motivation is how people see you, 80 to 99% of your day, you're unmotivated, mm -hmm. you know? It's when I'm sitting here in a room by myself and I'm like, I hate the way I feel. That's when changes are made. That's powerful. There's a lot of thoughts that came to my head when you were saying that. Since stopping the bodybuilding competition lifestyle i'm still in the bodybuilding lifestyle and i've become so much more attuned you know what drives me and anyone can get here and i know you're going to feel this way too what drives me is my next meal or my next workout or my next x y or z it can make my body feel better yeah it can make me think more clearly it can make me like do things better and man the better i'm like doing things the better i feel the better i think like Fuck, the better I look. Like, this is kind of nice. The the biggest thing is like people think that bodybuilders are, are naturally conceited and narcissistic. Yeah. And and, and I, I have come across that. But yeah. for the most part, it's they're not, man. They are they're driven, they're almost artists. They want to create yeah. something, they want to see if they can change something. And you know, the body's living tissue and they want to try to make art out of their body. Yeah. And when they look at themselves in the mirror, they're not necessarily thinking about how great they look. I mean, Arnold even talked about this. Most of the time he said he hated the way he looked. Yeah. And, and a lot of times bodybuilders are insecure people. Yeah. And we scoff at insecurities, but I mean, that's a human 
trait. Like Anyone who's trying to achieve anything on any extreme spectrum is insecure, though. I mean, Elon Musk is insecure. Absolutely. Jeff Bezos is insecure. I am insecure. I have insecurities. Like, yeah. It's I remember going to happen. one time I went out and I was talking to this girl and she talked about like 30 minutes about bulimia, which is nothing to joke about. Yeah. Struggle with bulimia, yeah. right? And then at the end of it, I say something, I say, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty insecure. I struggle with that. She goes, ooh, gross. I'm like, I just sit here and listen to you talk about how you throw up in the toilet after every meal. What? I didn't judge you with you. And and I was open and vulnerable about, yeah. about being an insecure man. Yeah. And in our society, as a man, you're not yeah. supposed to be insecure. You're definitely uh, not supposed to admit your insecurities, I right? I try to push back and fight that heavily on the podcast. The masculine vulnerabilities really become something that I would say I'm I'm potentially the most passionate about. Um, I the mean, first you, step to becoming an adult man is admitting that you have vulnerabilities, right? Yeah. But most people never get to have that. Never. I mean, I'm the only man in my family that has that. Out of grandpas, dads, uncles, brother-in-laws, I'm the only one that's extremely vulnerable emotionally. Um, I have this rule. Uh, for my close friends, the guys that are around me, I don't say, like, I love you, bro, or I love you. I say, I love you. Like, I love you. Like, I would say to a woman. Yeah. Like, I bro dude that that casualizes it and it's not casual it's a great way to be man well you don't know what people are going through and you know late in 2023 i went through probably the hardest thing i've ever been through in my life and you know what i just needed i just needed one of my guys to look at me and say i love you and and i got that i got that from from my group of friends but we don't get told that because the way that the world views us is based off of the value that we bring to it. So as you continue to work your Instagram up and you get to a million followers, well, you're just, you just have, you have a million followers and that's who you are. And that's what people, it's the black mirror episode. I'm not sure if you've ever watched it Yeah, of your exactly. social score. Exactly. That, that that's real life. Or I'll see in the comments, these people say stuff about me that like, you're like this outlandish things like you in the ideal body. And it's like, or you're a guy or like this stuff. And it makes me so uncomfortable. It's like, I am the biggest, if you knew me, yeah. <laughs> you would not think that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, do not idolize me. Yeah. Do not put me on. A, it's not fair to you. It's not fair to me. Because if you knew me, I would be knocked off that pedestal immediately. Yeah. You know, and I, I hate, I my biggest fear also is becoming a guru. I hate gurus. It's like, it just makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we're in this together. Let's work together. I'm no better than you. I'm no worse than you. We're brothers or sisters. You know what I mean? Like. I want to push back on that. And the reason being, I am very fortunate to know a lot of people with massive followings and huge um a huge crowd of fans in this space. And I've known you for about an hour and a half. You are much better for people to look up to than a majority of the folks out there. Not to put them down. It's no, and it's okay to look up to people. I look up to Ed Cohn. I look up to Joe. But no, I look, people like are going to idolize somebody. We have to have it. Like I, I, I have someone I idolize in the podcasting space. I'm sure you have someone you idolize, but I'm going to push back on thought that people shouldn't idolize you even if they knew you. I think that they should. Well, I mean, I'd say maybe it's terminology like that. I hate the idolization. Like I, an idol is something you worship. I, I'm a Christian. Weird. Don't worship me. Do not worship me. I An idol is like this thing that doesn't have flaws. I have major flaws. Yeah. You can look up to me. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can be one of your heroes. I have heroes. Yeah. But heroes are not idols. Heroes are flawed. Ah, I like that. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's, let's just sparse 
the terminology a little bit. I love that. Because even in the Bible, the heroes had flaws, okay. right? Yeah. Um, no one in the world has is flawless. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I have one last question for you. You're 44. You're probably arguably in the best shape of your life right now. I'm assuming you feel great. You feel about, um, you, you have progress to still be made. But when you look back to maybe a, a 30 year old like myself or a 25 year old, 25 year old men is a massive demographic of this show to get from the place where I am right now to being 44, looking good, feeling good, better than I do at 30, healthier. We talked a little bit about my injuries, the grower and I fans know about the injuries. What's some tips? What's some advice oh, that man. you would give to people to hopefully so get to that much. point? Um, a lot, there's a lot. Yeah. Don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah. Learn to laugh at yourself. L learn, understand that there's a lot you don't know. And when you come across something, be open to it before you judge it. Um, understand that right now is the time to start learning. I feel like we get to this stage in our mid twenties to early thirties, like we feel like we're on top of the world. We've learned everything and you haven't learned anything. Mm -hmm. The next thing would be like, slow down, focus on the process. Um, you're talking to me right now. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, if you want to be excellent in life, learn to be excellent in small ways, do little things with excellence. You know what I mean? Like focus things that you do on your day, brush your teeth with excellence. You know what I mean? Get excellent small ways. I guarantee like every Olympian out there, they have an excellent morning routine that no one ever sees. Uh, you know, and I got this saying that I, I tell my kids and, and I used to tape it in my locker in college. It's called patience, angles, and aggression. Mm -hmm. and, as, and it pertained to being a linebacker at the time. So like, I have to see the play before I do anything. Once I see what it's gonna be, I have to make sure I take the right angle. And only after those two things, then I finish with aggression. I feel like men in their late 20s, early 30s, they get that out of order. They just run. It's like, be patient, take it in, understand the situation, and then think about the best angle to take. And only after those two things, then you finish with your aggression. You know what I mean? Um, I think those are the biggest things, man. And just like, just you know, mainly don't take yourself too serious. Like laugh at yourself, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're going to screw up a lot. I mean, you do just laugh at it. Like, you know. Fantastic. Judd, thank Brother. you so much for joining. Oh, dude, this is such yeah. an honor, man. Yeah, like, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely do another one. I know that this will be a popular episode. Yeah. Um, where can people find you on Instagram? Uh, it's under Judd Linehard. So I, I was always being an athlete. Yeah. Kind of a funny story. Like, I changed it and I lost my verification when I changed it and I haven't been able to get it back yet. <laughs> oh no shit. So if you wonder why they pulled my blue little check mark, I feel like I'm not like a real human being anymore. Yeah. They're like, they took away my status. You know? And then like, now I'm on like some kind of wait list. I'm like, oh yeah. my God. Like, Incredible. Yeah, so. Well, I, I I know that the people are going to love this show. A lot of expertise, a lot of topics. We actually haven't chatted much about on the podcast, Ebra. So uh, uh, from one man to another, I appreciate you. I value you. It's fantastic to watch you blow up. Um, and I'll see you March 9th at the uh, House of Gains Grand Opening. Absolutely. That'll be <laughs> All right, Grower Die fam. We'll see you next time. Peace.